Hello and welcome everyone to another episode of 100 Days and Beyond. Uh, today we've got a, um, wow, if I, if I look at the, your, your, your bio and LinkedIn, Karen, I think it's just unbelievable. So there's so many things to pick on today. Um, I want to, I want to sort of, I want, I want to maybe go through a process of, um, of sort of unpacking some of your items, but just let's just quickly cover who, who's the audience. So as part of an introduction to 100 Days and Beyond, the podcast for M&A professionals, mergers, acquisitions, post-merger integration practitioners, all the way through to individuals and companies that do acquisitions or buy other companies. And, and from an audience perspective, we generally have three, three groups. The one, the one group are people that, that come in and um, they almost get forced into it. So, so they, they, they show really good um, acumen in terms of project management, the ability to, to work with businesses and so on, or they work with a division or a unit within a company, and then they get pushed into the IMO or the integration management office, or they get told, hey, we've just bought a company, you better get on with it. And so they get either forced into it or it's a career choice. So it's somebody moving into it from a new perspective. We also have individuals like yourself that are, um, highly experienced in the people, and I and I really, I mean, your your experience is is is, is incredible. So I'm going to go through that um, now, and I think it's a really good example of 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 a, of a practitioner that that's reached a really high level in 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 terms of your your career and that. And then and then on on the back end, we also um, from time to time speak to those who have been targeted. In other words, they work for, they work within entities that. Um, that get acquired. Um, so these are the people that, that, that have to almost take their day job and add a bit extra because now someone has gone and acquired the company and they have to do some extra work. And, and sometimes those pressures can, can, can be quite, uh, uh, I think, quite daunting, especially in the early stages. But Karen, I'm going to come, come to you. So uh, Karen Thomas-Bland, we've got founder of Seven, and we have to talk about that. Leading value creation through strategic transformation, interim chief transformation officer, interim MA integra integration director, non executive director, and chair. I mean, you've done a, quite a lot of uh, a lot of different things, and and I just want to just go through just like maybe one or two sentences there. You talk about being an interim executive committee member consultant, NED, which is a non-executive director with 25 years experience leading complex enterprise-wide transformations and M&A integrations. Um, and then there's this massive number, $105 billion turn uh, in, uh, you know, for integrations for up to $105 billion in turnover. I mean, that's massive. He works with Microsoft, Invesco, National Grid, um, Several PE funds, etc., and I mean, this, it's 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 an amazing um, CV. And if I just keep going, I'll probably take up the full hour. <laughs> Karen, thank you. Welcome to our show today. Oh, great to be here, Dudley. My my absolute pleasure. Excellent, thank you. So, so what? Why don't you just tell us a little bit about how does one sort of start off? I mean, did um. In your in your school days or when you started your career you said that's what i want to be i want to be that you know whatever <laughs> i don't know how to summarize it because you move into transformations and m a 
uh, NED chairs and so on. So tell us a bit about that journey. How did you decide this is this is sort of almost your calling, your your space that you live in? Yeah, no, it's great, great uh, question, Dudley. Um, I originally set out to be an organisational psychologist, so that was my um, goal, if you like. Age about twelve, thirteen. Um, that that literally was my my mission to do that. And so I trained for six years um, as both a psychologist and then specialising in in organisational psychology. And that for me was the perfect blend of both um, business, but also the people side um, of a business as well. And what are some of the challenges? And so that took me um, into an early career in management consultancy, but specializing around the people aspects or the people aspects of an M&A, um, assessment, development, team building, uh, change management. So any element of a business that touched people, I was working with lots of different organizations, in essence, to, to work with them to solve their people challenges. And, and I recognized, uh, you know, pretty early on that I wanted to be broader than just people. And so I transitioned then to working on um, sort of broader transformations, broader integrations, not just from a people perspective, but from a process, a technology, and, and so on. So it was the entire organization. Uh, I did that for several years, became partner in a, in a big consultancy business. And then uh, I went into IBM and I went into IBM really to lead a business, so running businesses, uh, but also integrating businesses. So we were buying uh, relatively early stage software companies um, to, to grow inorganically um, for, for a period. Um, so a really interesting experience as li I've lived in New York, I've lived in Dubai, I've lived in Sao Paulo. So I, I've got the, the international experience as well. And then what I did 12 years ago now was um, left that world to, to set up on my own. And so my world over the last 12 years has been threefold, really. One, it's been going into large listed uh, businesses who are about to embark on a transformation or integration. So the scenario will be they're buying something bigger or more complex than they've ever bought before, or they've declared wanting to go on a transformation journey, perhaps thought about some of the KPIs, but need someone to come in on a fractional or interim basis to, to lead that. So that's been one sort of thrust. The second one has been, um, I have a background in private equity as well. And so often I take non-exec or chair roles in private equity backed businesses, either being brought in by the private equity fund or through uh, the management team. And those roles have been really about value creation, i.e. working with that business towards some form of financial event. We will be acquiring businesses potentially as that as, as well and have done that. Um, and it's working with the management team and the investor to, to get the outcomes that they, they desire. And then purely for fun, I invest in early stage businesses, always a risk, but always a lot of fun. Um, and putting time and money into those if I think they've got sort of potential to scale. And that for me brings in my passion, which is about, yes, we're making a, 
a profit, but there would need to be some purpose to it. So the, the investments I make are in businesses that have a positive um, impact in the world. So those are the three things that I've done over the last uh, 12 years. Yeah, so what, 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 what really strikes me when having a chat to you a few times uh, prior to, to the podcast today is, um, is, a, is I would say, um, a level of confidence that you have that's, that's, that's special. And I, and, and I think that's really a brilliant in the way that you present yourself. You know your stuff and, and, and you're clearly a very hardworking individual. You've, you've, you've spent your life dedicated to this specific arena. Um, and if I look at, look at the, that, that journey, I mean, organizational psychology, how does one, when you, you know, in your early, early career, decide organizational psychology is what I want to get into? Because I see you've done, I think you've done some thesis work around that too. So if we look at the, on the educational side, um, I see you, you did, the, uh, did an MSc in organizational psychology, you did the BSc in psychology. Um, and, and then, then you went into, um, you know, into business, uh, you know, where you are right now. I mean, it's quite an interesting space because you get to, I think what, 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 and part of that thing that, that sort of stands out for me is, is your ability to be in multiple places and being able to do as a, a, that kind of work where you're able to focus, get that work done, although there might be two or three other projects lying on your desk and that is it. That, that sort of that that stood out for me. I mean, is that is that a correct assumption? <laughs> yeah, you're probably tapping into something, Dudley, about being easily bored. I I like quite a a full plate, and I like a lot of different things going on, and I like a lot of plates spinning. So it's probably quite deliberate for me that I choose highly complex, really difficult jobs. And um, I want a number of things on the go. I think you're tapping into, yeah, a fundamental personality trait there of really um, enjoying that variety and enjoying that complexity. I don't seek an easy life. I don't seek those easy business as usual, if they exist even anymore. But I, I like that complexity. I like being in new territory or covering um, some sort of new ground. I like to challenge myself. Yeah, and, and, and besides the career, I've also just looked at some of the publications, you've, some of the articles you've actually published. Um, you've got a, a podcast, Talking Business Transformation, um, that, that you talk about and, and so on. And, and so, so you not only work within the organizations, but you also find time and the energy to go and, 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 and write articles and so on. It's, very, it's fascinating. If I look at it, it's a post-pandemic business transformation. What has changed? embarking on a digital transformation why your uh, ambition must be bolder and more courageous i mean i'm absolutely loving those titles how to avoid technology being an afterthought in an m a deal tackling the great resignation are you a leader uh, people want to work for which is now really a, a really good question and obviously the talking business trans, uh, transformation is a i mean it, it really is interesting to see how you uh, how you manage to to keep those plates but juggling but also full <laughs> well i love writing again you've stumbled into a passion of mine which is secretly i i am a writer i love i love writing and perhaps you know in my i always think about pivots um 
And I can certainly imagine at the end stages of, of career, um, you know, writing. I'm in the process of writing a book at the moment. So I, I love that. And it also, for me, the benefit of writing is it gives me clarity, but it also enables me to think about, you know, what's been done, what's been delivered. How can I capture sort of the lessons learned that I can use in the next sort of engagement? So it actually does help the day job that I I'm processing this information and being able to talk about it on podcasts or be able to write about it in an article for me is about cementing, you know, sort of learnings. Yeah, and I and and I've I've got to say that if I if I have a look at some of the 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 things that you get involved in, but that choice, tell me about that choice that that you took um, some 10, 11 years ago when you decided not to be employed, but to rather go out on your own. Um, that's, that's an interesting shift because that's, it's almost like what people are doing now. You did that some years back where, you know, there, there, there was a time when being employed was probably more, it's, I don't know if in vogue is the right word, but it was more people tended to work for big PE firms or uh, corporate acquirers and so on and be part of teams. And if you were fractional or interim, you, you took on one or two projects and then just sort of, you know, waited till that one was finished and then looked for the next one. And yeah. um, uh, uh, tell us, I mean, how, how did that sort of, how did you get to the point where you, you had, you had all these, this work and that, and then you decided, look, Hey, I'm going to do this on my own. Um, tell us about what went on. Yeah, <laughs> you're right. It wasn't in vogue at that point. So I don't think the gig economy had actually been talked about. So it's interesting. But I, I thought there was an opportunity. And I thought, you know, I don't necessarily want to go back into a large consultancy, but I do want to do these big projects. Can I do that on my own? And can I build enough of a network around me so that I'm not hiring people but I'm using great people who might also be interested in the independent journey. I should also say on a personal level, um, I was living in Brazil and wanting to relocate back to the UK as, you know, family was getting older and it was probably a little bit more necessary to be, you know, in the UK and in easy access of mum and, and others. So um, it, it all came together, really. It was a where I could see the market perhaps going and the fact that I thought, you know, interns, fractional executives, consultants probably can start operating on a more individual basis. And secondly, uh, through, you know, just family and, and what was going on there, I wanted to come back to the UK. And so I took the brave decision. I got my first client and I got a non-exec role and I thought, Let, let's just build from here. Let's see where it goes. So at that time, I didn't set up a website and everything I've got now. I just thought, let's test it out. It's low risk. If it doesn't work, I'll obviously go back to being traditionally employed. But no, 12 years on, best decision right timing don't regret any of what happened before it was absolutely essential to build you know my capability and ability as a leader but now very comfortable because it gives you freedom flexibility choice <laughs> yeah I'm, I'm i'm loving that and 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 and, and just around that um the, the the change in technology because you do talk i mean one of your one of the articles you wrote about sort of how to avoid technology being an afterthought in M&A deals. Tommy, sort of, 
in starting your own practice, I mean, you said that, you know, the, the website came later on and, and, and so on, and, and the adoption of technology to try and make your, sort of streamline your day-to-day -day activities, because of being on your own, then you know, there are often a few additional things that you wouldn't have to do if you were part of a larger organization. So, sort of how did that, uh, did you grow into that, into sort of a, a, a system that works for you? Yeah, I think that's probably fair, Dovin. It's, it's evolved over time, I, I would say. You know, I've become my own social media manager, as you say, publishing thought leadership and getting myself out there and, and getting known. And that wasn't the case in the beginning. That was something I thought, let me build up to over time. I've absolutely done that in large organizations. So I suppose I had the large organization model in my mind, which is what are all the elements I need to manage? There's certain things I did right from the get-go. One was get an accountant. Um, I'm not going to spend my time looking at spreadsheets and inputting data. It's not, you know, what brings me joy, uh, which is one of my criteria. So absolutely, like, get an accountant. Be clear on what your value proposition is. And when you're out talking to people, just know what it is and be able to articulate that there were some things I absolutely did in the beginning. I also found a network, so um, tapped into people who were either operating like I did um, or, or in sort of a crazy way, you know, doing some form of kind of consultancy off the back of uh, perhaps something else. And so tapping into that network, because the one thing you immediately realize that you miss is, of course, in a large organization, you've got lots of people to talk to. And I'm I'm a natural person who likes to talk and collaborate with people. I'm not someone who wants to be at home, you know, pouring over a computer screen all the time. So I did build a network in the beginning. And for me, that was critical in order to have that same, you know, bouncing ideas off people, collaborating, saying, just what do you think about this or this? That was really important to me. So I think the network, getting the financials kind of managed. There was a few things I put in place, but actually it was over time that I thought, right, I need to now up my PR game. I need to start writing more articles. I need a professional, you know, sort of website. Um, so things grow. You don't need to have to do everything in, in the beginning. Yeah, that, 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 thankfully for that. But it could be overwhelming. I'm just, just thinking about um, people that are getting into fractional and interim roles now. And, and I mean, even one of your articles, you talk, you talk about um, this sort of the, 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 the great um, resignation um, where people are saying, you know, what do I do next? Um, I want to have a bit more meaning. I want to have a bit more purpose. I actually want to do my own thing, whatever that means for everybody, it's probably slightly different, but, but how do you, how do you manage? Because I, I've done, you know, if I look at my, at my career, I've done, I've had multiple clients um, over, over the years and often many at one, at one particular time. And, and it's, it, it how do you deal with the sort of almost that conflict um, if you like, not a conflict, but it's 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 sort of an internal process of where do you put your priorities? I mean, it's 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 quite an interesting thing when when you have sometimes you know I don't know if you can call it Murphy's law, but sometimes all of a sudden three projects are due, or you're starting off three new projects at the same time. You know, it's, it's not a perfect world, this is it? I mean, it's not like oh, it's perfectly timed. You know, you start a new one next month and the one after, and it just sort of falls into place. How do you 
tell us a bit about how you do your your, your prioritizing and juggling and, and, and so on because that that's always fascinating to me in this sort of space yeah i'm laughing Doug, because i you're right i don't think there's a a perfect recipe here i think um, you've got to be comfortable. If you're working in this kind of portfolio fractional way, you've got to be comfortable with peaks and troughs. That's the first thing I would say. And really take advantage of those troughs. So I love traveling and I you know, do that a lot, obviously not during COVID times. So plan accordingly. When you've got downtime, really take advantage of it and really indulge whatever your passion might be. And for me, that will often be you know, traveling to different countries. But I would also say, yeah, in those peak moments, you are going fast and you're going hard and you're working, you know, pretty long hours and you're pulling everything uh, to pull out all the stops. And so I will make it my 100% focus. I will work long hours. I will work over the weekends. It's not for everybody, but I, I do that knowing that I will have a drop off and therefore I can go and take that rest period that you need and then I can come back. But I am a pretty, you know, hard hitting motivated person i will do whatever you know mine will do whatever it takes and i won't ask anyone to do what i wouldn't do myself so i'm pretty hands-on and i will go pretty hard and fast and i'll work long days and particularly in like as you know a deal environment you, you can't get away from that so it's going pretty hard on uh, for, a, for a good period of time but but i kind of my personality i kind of love that i love the peak and the trough of it and so it works for me but i do acknowledge and <laughs> many of my network will say the same it's not for everybody you know it's not <laughs> yeah and I, and I think what you've done is you've you've also found your purpose and your calling and i think I think that's what really makes it special. And, and, and the number of people I've spoken to in this community, it seems they find their happy place almost in, in a chaotic world, in, yeah. you know, in, a, in a chaotic niche. And, um, you know, it, it is like that. I mean, if you get called to, let's call it, let's call it teaching or nursing or something like that, I think often being a practitioner and a true practitioner is often a calling. It's not something, it's not a hobby. It's not something you do in the pastime. It's not a side hustle, as some people call it. It's it's an it's an actual it's proper. And it, and the other other thing is that you've got so many people relying on you. You yeah. have many people relying on on you delivering because you often I would from from your from your uh, bio and that you would go in a, from a leadership position. So people look up to you. You have to lead from the front. You have to show the energy. You've got to show the drive. You've got to show that you know where you're going and, uh, and you almost can't be doubtful in any, in any of your actions and discussions. You've got to be um, organized. You've got to be uh, <laughs> engaging. You've got to be able to balance between telling people what to do and getting their input um, I'm loving the, 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 those kind of conversations, um, and I'm sure you have quite a, quite a few of those where you would have to do that. And, and I imagine going in as an NED in a chair. Tell us a bit about that. So now you go in not just as a practitioner, but now you get let's let's say you get a non-exec role, or let's say you go in as a chair. Tell us, a, give us an example, or give us a bit of an anecdote around that that dynamic difference between chair, which is all non-exec all the way down into the executive role. How do you get that engagement going between, let's say, chair and CEO or chair and 
uh, an outgoing management. I don't know. You t t just give us a few anecdotes around that or a few examples. Yeah, it's a really great question, Dudley. I mean, I focus on the private equity world um, for, from a non-exec and chair perspective, and I'd say it is different. So for those of you interested in board roles, I'd say if you're really interested in value creation, then private equity is probably a market to really kind of explore because the listed world, clearly governance is, is the priority. Now, in a private equity, of course, governance is important, but actually it, it does lend itself quite well to people who are orientated towards transformation because you've tend to got an outcome. You're working towards some form of exit. That might be another PE house coming in. That might be a trade sale, might be a management buyout. But there's a clear kind of goal that you're working towards. You're right, Dudley. I mean, building a relationship, whether you're a non-exec or whether you're chair, the relationship that you have to the CEO and the broader management team is, is absolutely critical. And that will be my entry point to really get to know these guys and really understand what it is. So a lot of the CEOs in that scenario I work with will be founder CEOs. They will have built that business. It will be their baby. They'll have got private equity investment, having built bootstrapped this business and you know built it over a, a long period of time. And so you have to be operate with, with sensitivity to that. And you really need to understand you know, what their personal motivation is, what their passion is, what a great outcome looks like for them, and then how can you support them to achieve that. But it's similar to a transformation being hands-on in that you've got an outcome, you know you're all working towards that. And so what are the building blocks that you need to put in place? How do you see the business evolving from a people perspective? As you grow up, you know, how do you make sure you've got the right processes, the right technology that's going to support that scale up journey? And ultimately, how do you bring people with you? Because often the business might be going from 100 people to 1000 people in quite a short period of time. And so from a culture perspective, often where you can help the CEO is on that on that scale up journey, just how do we create that or keep that same entrepreneurial culture, but recognize we do need to bring in more formalities, more processes, because simply you, you can't do anything else if, if you want to scale. But it's interesting. I like the balance of that entrepreneurial business with the listed space. And I think there are lessons, you know, to learn on both sides to cross cross pollinate. Yeah. And I want to try and just bring in your, your psychology background briefly, because there's a, there's a, there seems to be, and and I, I, you know, this is just an observation. I, you know, it's not it's not a broad brushstroke saying everyone's doing this, but there seems to be a tendency now, which I'm which I'm enjoying, and that's a and that's a, I would say an emphasis on strengths as opposed to weaknesses. Now I remember when I was at school, you know, you, know, you take home your report card, and the one subject that you didn't quite enjoy, you didn't do as well. That was the one that your parents sort of said, what's going on over there? And all the other ones were not really, they were, they were, that, that's great. That's what we were expecting. But, you know, this one, there's something wrong. It's, it's almost the other way around. If you want to run a, a, a really good company, you've got to try and find, rather look for the strengths in the individuals, look for where they could add the most value, look where and how you could, how you could help them identify where their strengths are. So these sort of strengths finding type of 
uh, tests and, and, and other types of engagements that, that you do. Do you think that's important from a, from a psychologist type of point of view? Yeah, Dudley, I definitely do. But I, I'm with you a little bit on the, but we can't forget what the gaps are. So I'm a big, big advocate of strengths methodology. I think saying to people, what are you really good at? And let's use that as a sort of point on which you can think about what do you want to do? What's your career? What's your end game? What's your purpose? I think makes absolute sense. When it comes to a business, I think um, I, I'm a bit more sort of what are the strengths, but also what are the gaps to close and how do we fill in those gaps? It's not just about sort of playing to strengths. It's about saying, what are we not so good at? Because within that, there's learning for me. There's if we're not good at something, how do we build muscle in it? How do we get better at it from an individual or an organization uh, perspective? So I come at this from both sides. I think strengths, absolutely. Let's play to those. But let's not be so um, focused on that that we ignore the gaps, right, that uh, might trip us up and, um, you know, be our Achilles heel that we don't know about down, down the line. So I think it's important as well to be saying, it's a bit like you said around the scorecard uh, that we had at school, but now we have a balanced scorecard in businesses. It's important to have that honest view. And I often talk to organisations that that would be a conversation I have, whether I'm going in as a NED, whether I go in as a, you know, a transformation or an integration exec, just, just, just where, where are the issues? Where are the problems? Where have we not shown up particularly well in the past? Where can we uh, be better? And then what's the plan to build that? And, and how can we uh, bring the right capability, support and, and whatever we need around us? Otherwise, I think you're sailing blind towards, yeah, just being focused on um, strengths. Yeah, so it is, it is, there's definitely um, a need to, to be able to, to almost call a spade a spade, you know, if, if, if <laughs> to use a really old cliche, but, you know, there, I think there is, there is time to, 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 to say, look, there, things are wrong, let's, let's fix this, but many things are fixable, if you put, apply the right sort of principles and tools and, and obviously, with your experience and knowledge, you can you can you can pretty much do that. So, no, thank you. That was a that was a great answer. I want to I want to touch on um, sort of you talk about leading value creation through strategic transformation, but there's 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 a, a title you talk about being an interim chief transformation officer. Now, how tell me about that title? Where how does that sort of come about, and, and how how do you act as a um, can you call it a CTO? Is that right? As long as they don't mistake it from a chief technology officer, which I've quickly um, <laughs> become and stop. Yes, absolutely. I think that role came about, I think McKinsey was probably the first organization to term it as kind of C-suite role. And I think it came about because there was no real middle ground. So if you were embarking on a transformation, your low risk approach is to go to a MBB firm, McKinsey, Bay and BCG, one of the big four, you know, find a consultancy, bring them in, um, in essence, you know, let them run the transformation for you. Um, the, the other option was you do it yourself, you do it in house. And clearly, you know, if, if you've not been on that transformation journey before, that's a pretty high risk stakes move because you have no um, 
examples, experiences, anecdotes, le lessons learned that can guide you across the, the journey. And perhaps you don't know the recipe. So you add these two kind of extremes, whereas there's a middle ground which says, I do need to bring in some independent expertise, but I don't want the change to be done to us by a consultancy. I actually want skin in the game. And at that point, people think about bringing in an interim uh, transformation officer or transformation director. And it's what a lot of the big firms, you know, you can go to McKinsey, you can go to Alvarez and Marcella, you can get, you can buy from them those people. They even change their model to be able to. But then there's a group of people who do that on an independent basis. And I'm, I'm one of those. And it's typically where the chief executive says, I want to transform the business. And they may have even done that first bit of work that says, this is what we want to transform it to, or they're still early stage and still saying, I know I want to change these dynamics. I want to change the health of the organization. I want to change the financial, financial trajectory. Um, but they don't know how. And so it's going into an organization, being part of the executive team and basically working with them on that journey, which is both a, a recipe, a process to follow, you know, setting up a transformation office, having a regular drumbeat. But then it's also getting into the nitty gritty. So, uh, you know, like what I'm working on at the moment, they want to set up things like uh, centers of excellence. They want to set up a new model around account management. It's then getting into the nitty gritty and delivering what they've set out that they want to um, achieve. But doing it in a way where you're not around forever, which is the right mentality of a transformation. I know some organizations say we're always transforming. Well, it's right that you're always changing and evolving, but a transformation should have a defined endpoint with a set of KPIs that you want to deliver. Otherwise it will peter out. So those roles, you know, they go, you go in, you might be in there for 18 months, couple of years, uh, basically to deliver that. But the, the importance and the difference of working with you know, an interim versus a consultancy is they're working with you. They're taking you on the journey, but they're leaving you with that capability and that sustainability that, you know, perhaps next time you will do more of it yourself. Yeah, I, I, want, to, I want to bring in sort of a, a case study example, and maybe you've got more localized ones. But if I look at sort of a, a transformation as a, as, as a topic, so you have you have somebody somewhere that says hey we need to transform as an organization and, and often it's triggered by something like um a competitor behavior it could be the shifting of a market so customers are buying elsewhere or or have stopped using or the complaints have gone, gone up i don't know whatever the whatever the trigger is and then 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 people start talking transformation and 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 often transformation in my mind sometimes it's very difficult to define yeah. what does it mean to be transformed and I'm, 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 I really enjoy the fact that, that, that you, you, what you mentioned now is, is that a transformation, a journey, even if it's through a, a post-merger integration or a post-acquisition or, or whatever it is, it has to have a, a, a start, a middle and an end. It's yeah. got to be viewed as a, as a project because you can't uh, it's like training for an event. If you're an athlete, you can't always be training. You've got to you've got to select your event. You've got to go through a, a process of building up, 
and then peaking at the right time so that you can be at your best performance at the event. Um, and it's, it, it's, it's, it's a bit like that to a certain extent, although the, the, I suppose you, you do the events and then you sort of do the handover or whatever it is and then, and then you move on. Just tell us a little bit about, I mean, I'm just trying to use an analogy, but if I say Macy's, for instance, they saw in the States, I mean, that they saw um, things are changing. I mean, I think one of the biggest retail department stores and they saw, okay, well, you know, there's all of a sudden there's a lot more competition and they say, we need to transform. Okay, let's bring in a transformation officer. And it's like, and then all these new ideas come in. Like you have to use better technology. You've got to engage your clients or your customers more. You've got to get better feedback. You've got to improve your reputation, reputation management, and a, and, a, and a whole lot of other things. And you have to then sort of serve a different audience and so on. So there's a gazillion, re, like, let's call it transformation touch points. So, I mean, how do you, you know, that's the, that thing is like, hey, Karen, come and do a transformation for us. Tell us <laughs> <laughs> a bit about that. Yeah, it's, we laugh. It's one of those challenges, isn't it, where, um, you know, there's everything on the table. But I, I suppose I get involved in a couple of different points. There might be organizations, and I'm thinking of one, that have done really no thinking about it. So they'd said, we want to go to transformation. We want to change up our, our revenue. We want bigger margins. They tend to describe it in relatively um, in, in financial terms. They may also describe wanting to evolve their population of people and upgrade that and upgrade their um, technology and, and sort of streamline processes and, and so on and so forth. So they've got some idea, but it's often then about going in and asking that question, you know, three years from now, two years from now, where do you want to be? How will you know you've got there? And what does it really look and feel like? What would you be different? What would you be saying that's different? What would be the narrative? So it's getting them to really describe that end state in the best possible detail. So you know what you're aiming for. And for people, that's important because then they go, I know why we want to transform because I can understand, as you say, there's been a major market shift. Our competitors have done this. They've all gone online. They've rechanged their business model. They're now having SaaS businesses. So there's all sorts of reasons that can trigger that transformation. But the first thing with the client is to say, where do you want to get to? And then it is, there's, there's a project element, which is we just need, because we've got a lot of stuff in the pot, um, we've got to do that in a way that's going to make it feel organized. So let's have work streams, one looking at people and culture, one looking at process and, you know, and so on. So you've got it in a manageable form and you can hold people to, to account. The other thing is being a bit um, provocative, I guess, with the organization and saying, are you really being ambitious enough? Um, it's an interesting concept, transformation, because if you think about it, McKinsey will often say, well, 70% of transformations fail. And so you're like, well, why would anyone ever embark on one if I've only got a 30% chance? I think where that statistic probably came from is people not really defining that endpoint, And actually, it just got kicked down the road. And so they kicked off another transformation. And actually, there was never an endpoint to measure success on. And so... In, in a way, and, and where I'm a big fan, where I, I always have a worry when organizations say, but we're always on a transformation. No, you're always changing and evolving because that's like being an organic 
you know, organization and nothing stays the same. But when you're embarking on transformation, define your end state, define your KPIs, make sure the board's holding you to account for those and work towards it in a planned way. You're right, there's so much activity often going on, but managing it through work streams, through having a transformation office or an integration management office if it's in an M&A context, and use that to keep the drum beat and keeping clear, are we on track? Are we delivering? Have we got the sequence and pace of this change right? So building those checker points to see are we, are we really achieving what we set out to and doing it in a planned and, and methodical way? It sounds straightforward. There is a recipe. I can tell you on every one I've ever done, there will always be something that goes wrong, something that's not expected, a failure that you didn't expect to happen. It's all par for the course, though. It's it, You know, honestly, if you're not failing, you're not probably not pushing hard enough. Yeah, and, 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 and I absolutely love what you said there is, is, is sometimes challenging the board or, or whoever the management are and, and saying, you know, is it transformation potentially for the sake of change? But are you thinking big enough? Are you, are you challenging yourself in terms of the transformation enough? I'm guessing it's also psychology. It's about achieving a bigger goal tends to stretch people some more, t- tends to stretch their imaginations and also gets them engaged in in being um, inspired almost to achieve the transformation. If it's a small little transformation, it's like, yeah, yeah, it's all, it's all nice. <laughs> exactly that. that. Then I put it in the bucket of it's change that we need to do, but it's not fundamentally transforming the business. And that's absolutely fine. An organization will go through tons of changes and have a process and a methodology and a way of managing that but recognize that that's very different from embarking on a transformation that you will often commit to the city if you're a public company your board will be holding you to account this is something you know you're committing to going on this journey and it's a brave step and it's and that's why it's sometimes helpful to have people not in the organization being around the table with you saying oh have you thought about this what about this Let's look at these examples. Let's draw on another sector because, you know, innovation might not just come from within your sector. It's sometimes important to go outside like it is with a board. So um, you need that provocation and you need that big ambition that everyone gets excited about. Everyone sees a journey in, and, and people genuinely feel excited and want to go on it. They recognize it's hard. It's a bit like training for a marathon or, you know, you recognize it's hard, but the reward will be there and you've got to prepare for it. Yeah, I love that. And I, I want to, as we, I mean, I mean, the hour is going so quick and, and we only got a few minutes left. And I want to, I want to focus a little bit more on, on seven transformation, which is your which is your entity that, that you created, um, and I'm and I'm guessing, and I'm I'm looking at your website right now, and I'm and I'm seeing what I think are the seven. So is it grow, disrupt, adapt, acquire, merge, diversify, and restructure? Yes, exactly that. So we, I built the name. Well, actually, I should confess that I worked with a branding agency. Um, to actually help me brand the business. I did not do all of that. I wrote much of the content, but I I needed those visualization skills. So I, yeah, I worked with a, a branding partner to bring it um, to, to life. But you're right, th- those are the seven. 
Yeah, so, so, so the seven, I mean, that's very interesting. So just calling yourself seven transformation. So, so there must be a reason. I'm, I'm, I'm hoping I'm not uh, sort of putting you on the spot, but tell us sort of if, if, you, if you can, where it came from and, and how you selected those, those seven, because grow um, is one thing, disrupt is something else, adapt acquire, merge, diversify, that I can sort of understand. Acquire and merge and diversify, I can understand. Restructures are probably in the, in the vein of sort of transformation, if you like. Um, but sort of grow, disrupt, adapt. Uh, tell us a little bit about those seven and, and, and sort of why seven and, and, and how did you get about it? I know it's an agency and, and so on, but you, you must have had something inside you that, that drove you to that. Yeah, well, there's a couple of things. There's a couple of sevens in there. So, so one, actually, why I was interested in seven is I put all my case studies of clients that I'd worked with over 25 years on the table and said, what are some of the themes? And so naturally, if I think about entry points, some came from a point of view of saying, I just want to grow and scale this business. Some came from, I'm buying a business. It's already a done deal just come in and integrate it. So I was thinking about the words that clients used when they wanted you know, to, to basically use me or use my services. But seven also came from a different place, which is when you look at the transformation or integration market and you say who's playing in it, um, they'll tend to come at it from one specific perspective. So they'll tend to come at it from a strong financial perspective. A lot of the big consultancies will have that as their main lever, or they tend to come at it from a process perspective, or, you know, if you're orientated on the people and culture side. And so I wanted to emphasize that this is not coming at it from any one perspective. There's at least seven dimensions. There's people and process, there's culture, you know, there's technology, there's processes. And it's actually the, the, the real value in transformation is about integrating all of those, whether you're doing a deal, whether you're doing an operating model transformation, thinking about it from those multiple perspectives. And when you're designing and sequencing the change, making sure you're not losing any one of those and not just owning in from one. So I wanted to emphasize that multi-dimension that I wasn't going to come in at this from any one particular perspective. I was going to look at the whole picture and say how does it play out and, I, and if I think about competitors of consultancies and others they do tend to come at it even though they will say you know it's relatively broad they will have a natural bias given their background to one or, or more of those and, and I feel it's it, the, the benefit is to look at it from all perspectives. Yeah and thank you thank you for that I mean I, you're absolutely right and 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 it does succinctly put put that together in terms of the uh, different entry points. I want to touch on one more thing, and then I want you to share um, sort of how people can get hold of you. But I just want to just in your in your um, in your LinkedIn bio, you talk about um, private equity backed boards um, where you've been involved in. Um, and then it's, you talk about sort of drive the value creation. So that I can, that I can understand in terms of post-merger integration, post-acquisition post -acquisition integration, and you've got a private equity-backed firm 
part of their, their process is value creation. They want to have an entity they can exit as soon as possible at the highest possible multiple, you know, within whatever their scope is in terms of their brief and that. So that, that I can understand. So there's drive value creation. Then you've got the second part there, which is achieve major fundraising within that space. So, so part of the, the drive and the growth, sometimes you need additional working capital. You need additional funding yeah. and, and so on to make sure that you can have a plan. But if you can't fund the plan, sometimes that just goes to naught. Um, and then the, uh, uh, in addition to that, you then talk about the, the, the exit. Okay, so getting, probably getting ready for exit and making sure that, you, I don't like to use the word, but it's almost like window dressing. You want to get everything in, in the right sort of view so that all the right things are in the right places and all the tick, tick, tick boxes are ticked for the next acquirer so that when they walk in, it's not that you still got to go and look for the information. You've actually got everything ready. So you, you, you almost, while you're doing the value creation, you've got to be thinking about exits, but you also got to be keeping funders happy and you've got to be raising further capital. So just, um, you know, as we go through almost to the end of the hour now, and just, so, so let's about that dynamic, because for me, there's often it could be conflicting dynamics, but it could also be, Joy. So it is. It is a very interesting dynamic. Tell us about how you deal with that uh, scenario. Yeah, Dudley, it's a great question because I I've worked in all scenarios. I've worked in a tense scenarios where the investors are. You you've got different investors, as you know. You've got people who just want to like exit, get the multiple. They don't really care about the path, and that they're they're less on the value um, creation side. And then you've got investors which is probably my preferred, but I, there's benefits of, of both, which is, you know, we, we really want to think about this in a, in a very conscious way, in a very thoughtful way, and how do we um, create value. So one of the roles, and particularly a role I play as a Ned and a chair, will be managing that investor landscape, making sure the current investors feel like what they're getting. So I will always advocate the investor having a role on the board, even if that's just an observer role, but actually giving them a full, you know, sort of uh, board role is, is always, I think, a good thing. And um, particularly if they lean towards that value creation side because they're part of it. So involvement, absolutely. Um, as you say, making sure you almost have like a continuous deal room, um, as you'll know from M&A, which is let's make sure we keep all the information because we've just been through DD. Um, let's make sure we have a, a, an open deal room where we store all the key documents and so that we're very open and transparent to current investors. And then it's a deliberate process. It is a, when you're looking for new investment, it is almost like going on a transformation because you need to build the strategy of the business to tell the story to potential investors so they can see what you're doing, but they can see where the real opportunities are. A lot of the businesses I work with, let's say, will have a core business. Let's say it's you know a typical management consultancy, but they'll have a SaaS business opportunity based on the data that they've built in order to be able to spin that out. So for the new investors coming in, you need to be able to tell them that security about a core business, but actually the 
um, opportunity. But there will there will always be challenging investors, and I've been on boards where you know the investors have really held the management team and the board to task around why have you done this, what have you done, and so my my approach is always about engagement, involvement, communication, making sure everyone's clear, making sure everyone's bought in, but also actively asking them to help and input and shape because clearly they have perspectives, they have lots of other businesses typically in their portfolio and lessons to learn from that. So it, it, a lot of it is, again, the same change principles, whether you're doing a transformation, whether you're on a board, whether you're doing an integration, it's all the, are, are we communicating? Are we giving enough information? Do people feel like they're involved and included, not just on a you know fractional basis, but actually feel like they're part of the journey and feel they've got skin in the game and they want to make it happen. So I'm all about creating that culture that we're all in this together. Let's make it work. Let's see an end point. Let's align on that. And let's have those, you know, I'm not afraid to put difficult things on the table or indeed have some contentious conversations because out of it often is the best value. We, we get to a solution. So let's kick things around. But you're right, there is always this tension of investor kind of management team that, you know, is a, is a careful one to, uh, to balance and, and manage. But it, it comes down to, to relationships and, and that openness and transparency. That's uh, that's, an, um, that's a really good uh, answer to to, to my, my almost a curveball question. But um, Karen, um, we're near the end of the hour, and I just want to sort of sort of just spin into um, about you and 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 the sort of yes, you work incredibly hard, and that's I mean, is there such a thing as a work-life balance and so on? And and uh, and 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 once you've sort of just maybe just given us your view on that, so just sort of share with everyone, how can they get hold of you if they want to work with you? Uh, how do they find out more about you and, and, and so on? Yeah, let me answer the uh, work-life balance question first. So the answer is absolutely yes. Uh, there is definitely a work-life balance. I I live in Maribone in London, and so most mornings you'll find me in Regent's Park, and that's important for me. I like that early morning walk. I might listen to a podcast or two, but I need that kind of space. And then I will always be planning in, you know, a weekend away, a holiday, something to look forward to, um, having, you know, relationships with friends and, and family. So work-life balance, super important. And I would absolutely role model that to my team and particularly on deal teams where we might get in at seven and leave at 11. That's not um, abnormal. But what I'll be saying to people is make sure you're taking time to replenish yourself, go for a run, do whatever it is that you do that gets your head back in the space because we will be going fast. And so I actively make that part of the teams that I'm leading. And of course, I'm, I'm role modeling that. I wouldn't be saying do it and not doing that my um, self and just being very open and having you know you create a culture where people can just raise their hand and say today I'm just not my head's not in it I need a bit more space that's absolutely fine let's let you create that culture of honesty and people being able to raise their hand and not being penalized in any way so really really important fundamental um, if you want to reach me of course I, I love collaborating so um, you can always find me on uh, LinkedIn. Um, I'm pretty active on there. I post at least a couple of times a week. Um, my website is uh, seventransformation.com. 
Um, again, you can find a little bit about my approach, but there's also a few tools on there and an article. So hopefully some lessons in there um, somewhere. And I'm also on Twitter. I uh, tweet every so often um, as well, li linked to my LinkedIn um, articles. But no, I love to collaborate. And, you know, I'm always happy just to jump on a call with people, not, not for any commercial gain for me, but just, you know, if, if there's a problem people are wrestling with and you just want to take time out because I do that and I find it um, super, you know, helpful. So no, I, I'm, I'm very collaborative, love to um, chat and help wherever I can. Oh, thank you very much. I'm going to just say thank you. Absolutely brilliant. I thoroughly enjoyed that, uh, uh, that podcast uh, episode. Uh, I certainly hope that you can, can join us again sometime in the future. Maybe next time we cover one or two case studies and so on. But it's yeah. been great getting to know you in, in, in this process uh, and also you sharing some of your thoughts and ideas. I, I really enjoy that. Please stay on the line. I was going to say goodbye to our audience and then, um, and then I'll be straight back with you now. Right, everyone, thank you very much for joining us for another episode of 100 Days and Beyond. Um, Really the podcast that, that, that works with and speaks to and, and helps promote the fraternity, the mergers and acquisitions environment, the transformation specialists, as we saw today, the post-merger integration and, or, or the, the change agents or the change catalyst agents, if you like, that help um, entities make those significant changes. Um, I love the way that, that Karen approaches things, and I, I, I like those seven elements uh, within on her websites, and and also just um, the you can see the the work ethic, the very direct nature, uh, the clarity that that Karen is able to bring, and and it, it just sort of stands out for me as as uh, as Karen being a, probably a, a true leader in this in this space, and uh, and the confidence that she exudes. So. Please have a look. We didn't even cover half or even a quarter of her bio on LinkedIn. Have a look at it on LinkedIn. Get in touch with her if, you, if you'd like. But um, I just want to say thank you to you for, for joining us today. Thanks to Karen for, for sharing her, her, her information and, and some part of her, her life. And that. Please join us on our next episode of 100 Days and Beyond. And uh, uh, all the best and um, happy hunting and, and, and do that value creation and, and all, the, all the special things that, that the fraternity does. See you next time.